0: Well, good morning again. Uh, you know, I have three daughters, 12, 9, and 6, and they can't believe that I grew up in a time where there weren't video games, computers, iPhones, internet. They look at me like I'm ancient, and I'm not. I'm not. And, and, they, and they wonder, how did you live? Like, how did you get through the day? And I would say, well, we had things back then like books and board games, and imaginations, and, uh, and, and we used to figure things out. But I grew up playing lots of board games. I played board games mostly with my, my older sister, Lisa, and we're both very, very competitive people. And if you don't know why we're competitive, you've probably never played cards with my mom. Um, but we're both very competitive, competitive to the point where we rarely finished a board game. Uh, Whoever was losing would eventually make some excuse and walk away or toss the board game. We're very competitive. But one of the games that we played was this game called Othello. And I, I always remember the sort of the tagline of Othello. A minute to learn, a lifetime to master. A minute to learn, a lifetime to master. And as we move into this series where we're going to be talking a lot about the gospel, I've always thought of this phrase when I've thought of the gospel. A minute to learn, a lifetime to master. The gospel is so simple. But it's endlessly rich. It's so clear and so understandable, but there's so much work for us to do in our lives as far as applying the gospel to who we are and to the way in which we live. And this morning we're beginning a six-week series through a letter called Galatians that a man named Paul wrote to a bunch of early believers. This was about 20 years after Jesus died was buried, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. These churches in a province of Rome called Galatia were planted by Paul, but just a few years after Paul left, he got reports that were very concerning and alarming to him. And so he writes this letter to confront them on the issue of their, their misunderstanding of the gospel. And actually, this letter is one of the most strongest worded letters that Paul writes. In most of his letters, he begins with a greeting, and then he moves right into a thanksgiving. I give thanks for this, that, and the other. In this letter, he does a greeting, which we're going to study this morning. But he skips the thanksgiving and he goes right to strong language. In verse 6, let's just skip ahead. To, he says, I am astonished. He uses this sort of strong word to get their attention. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He goes on to say, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And here's what Paul is saying. Because there's been a distortion of the gospel, there's been a desertion of Christ. Whenever we distort the gospel, we desert Christ. And Paul has a deep concern here. And he goes after them at it. And we're going to look at it for these next six weeks. What does he say? And his concern is that they've turned to a different gospel. Now, this only took a couple years. Paul had just left them, and they already were getting it wrong. And like I said, this is only 20 years after Jesus lived and, and died. And so if they were getting it wrong that soon, how, how much more likely do you think it is that we still get it wrong today, 2,000 years later, that we still misunderstand the gospel? In fact, I'm going to suggest to you that the biggest problem that any Christian has is that they don't understand the gospel. The biggest problem that any Christian ever has is that they have forgotten the gospel or they're believing in a false counterfeit gospel. You know, sometimes we kind of like think, oh, the gospel, we know this. And even this morning, what was your reaction when you heard he's going to talk about the gospel? Like, oh, it's okay, the gospel again. But, but, I'm, but let's, let's get into something deeper. Let's get into something meatier. Let's get into something more mystical, something more sensational. And I just want to say that that's a danger sign, actually, in the heart of a believer. The second you lose your awe and wonder and appreciation for the gospel, you're in danger. Pastor, author Timothy Keller says it this way. He says, one of the surest signs that you may not grasp the unique radical nature of the gospel is that you are certain that you do. A lack of growing wonder, awe, and appreciation for the gospel, I think, is the biggest problem in any Christian's life. So let's look at what Paul says here in his greeting, verses 1 through 5. It says, Paul, an apostle, and the word apostle simply means one who is sent. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. So there are multiple churches in this province of Galatia, mostly meeting in homes. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So as we talk about the gospel, I want to give us a definition to work with, and there's many good ones, but I picked what I think is the simplest one. Simple is good, right? The gospel is the good news about what Jesus has done for you and for me. The gospel is the good news about what Jesus has done for you and for me. And so we have to answer the question, what did Jesus do? Why did he do it? And what does it mean for us? And all those questions are answered in the same verse. Look at verse 4. What did Jesus do? He gave himself. He laid his life down. Nobody took it from him. He gave himself for our sins. That's what Jesus did. Now, why did he do it? He did it because it was the will of our God and Father. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They made a plan. They carried out the will of God. And that's why Jesus went to the cross and gave himself for our sins. But the third question is, so what? What does it mean for you and me? And this answer is right in the middle. It delivers us from this present evil age. So this morning... We're going to learn one very important truth about the gospel, just one. Normally, if you come here all the time, you know I'm usually a three-point preacher. You're you're only getting one, so I hope you feel like you get your money's worth this morning. It's only one point, one thing to remember. This will be good for us, um, and it's about the gospel. Now, if if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, uh, I want you to lean in. And the reason why I want you to lean in is because what we're going to talk about this morning, you need to understand this, and you need to be able to share this with other people as well. And you've based your life on this claim, so it's a good thing to really understand what this claim is actually is. But if you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian you're hanging out with us, we're glad you're here. And I would encourage you to lean in too, because this is what Christianity has to offer. So accept or reject this based on what it is. So what are we going to learn this morning about the gospel? One simple truth is this, is that the gospel is for us, not from us. Okay? The gospel is for us, but not from us. My youngest daughter, Maddie, she's six. And, uh, Last week, she got a Target gift card. It's a big deal in our house. Target's got a big place in the hearts of the girls in our homes. Starts with their mother. Um, but she, she was super excited, and, and she told my wife Erin, she said, I'm going to buy Daddy something. And so Erin was like, that's so sweet, Maddie. What do you want to buy Daddy? And she said, I want to buy Daddy a lunchbox. Lunchbox. So Erin's like, why do you want to buy Daddy a lunchbox? And Maddie's like, oh, because Daddy loves lunch. Laughter. <laughs> She's a very perceptive six-year-old. She's very, very smart. But actually, it was a big moment in our house because this is about the first time she's bought something for me that was actually for me. On my birthday, most recently, she's, she went to Target again, and she's like, I want to buy something for Daddy. And so Aaron said, what do you want to buy Daddy? And she said, I want to buy Daddy an LOL doll, an LOL doll. And if you don't know what an LOL doll is, it's not something a grown man plays with. It's something a little girl plays with. And Maddie wanted to get something for me from her for her, right? And in that case, the gift was from her and for her. The gospel is for us, but it's not from us. We didn't manufacture this good news. We are not the source of this good news. This is not humanity at its best presenting something good for us to hope in. It came for us, thank God, but it did not come from us. And many people actually have a hard time believing this. And maybe depending on what kind of church you grew up in or what sort of religious experiences you've had, you've heard differently You've heard things like, if you're a good person, you'll go to heaven. If you just do the right thing, if you do more good than bad, if you're better than those people out there, and it becomes about my achievements, my accomplishments, my goodness, my righteousness. But the gospel says, forget that whole just live like a good person. The gospel says you can't. And even if you can live like a good person, it's not the goodness or righteousness that will make you right with God. There's an author named Brennan Manning who says it this way. He says, the gospel declares that no matter how dutiful or prayerful we are, we can't save ourselves. What Jesus did was sufficient. The gospel came for us, not from us. See, but the problem is, this doesn't always sound like good news because it punches self-reliance in the throat. It tear downs our visions of our own lives. The gospel says you're not the hero of your own story. You aren't a self-saved man, a self-saved woman, a self-made man, a self-made woman. You didn't pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You did not will yourself to God. You did not earn your salvation. You cannot. It does not come from you. It comes for you. And the story of the gospel is not humankind going looking for God and then finding God. The story of the gospel is that God came searching for us, and he found us, and he saved us. It came for us, not from us. And if this is true then there are two things a Christian should never say in response to the question, are you a Christian? And the first thing a Christian should never say is, of course I am, how dare you ask? Pride, arrogance, because we know it didn't come from me. There's no pride or arrogance in being a Christian. I received a gift I don't deserve. So Christians will never say, of course I am. But a Christian would also never say, I hope I am. I think I might be. Some days I feel like I am because it's not based on your performance. It's not based on your goodness. It's not based on your righteousness. It's not based on how you responded to your children that morning as they were trying to get out the door for school, right? It's not thank God. It's not it's not based on your devotional life. It's not it's not based on any of those things. Now those things can all be fruit of what you've received in the gospel, but it's not rooted in those things. And so a Christian never says, I hope I am. A Christian says, I know I am a Christian because of the work of Jesus Christ on my behalf and my faith and trust in him and him alone. And the church in Galatia was being led astray by false teachers who were trying to tell them hey, you can manufacture some of your own goodness. And we'll talk in the next couple of weeks about the exact details of what they were teaching. But what I love about what Paul did here in these first five verses is that he comes to this audience that is, that is sinning, that has drifted from the gospel, that has distorted the gospel, and instead of sort of telling them, try harder, do better, work, work harder, he brings them back to two very important words that I want to talk to you about. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. The Greek word for grace is charis. My, my, my niece's name is charis. Maybe you know a girl with the name charis. It means, means grace in the Greek. And uh, the thing about the word grace is it actually has three potential meanings depending on the context, okay? So, so stick with me. One, it can mean the disposition of the giver. So it's the kindness of the person who gives the gift. That's the word grace. It can also mean, number two, the gift itself. So it's God's love for us, but also it's the gift of salvation. That's grace, right? And that's probably what Paul means here. But listen carefully. There's a third meaning for the word grace in the Greek, and it's the response of the person who's received the gift. And here's one thing we have to make sure we get, about gra- get right about grace. Grace, when we receive the grace of God, we will ultimately live in the ways of God. When we receive the grace of God. So the grace of God, in a sense, has not been fully realized until our response is a response of surrender and obedience and love towards Christ. But then Paul uses this word peace, and it would be easy to skip past this and just think this is just sort of another greeting, but actually, you got to remember who Paul was writing to. He was writing to people who lived under the rule of Rome, the empire of Rome. And if you've studied history, one of the things that Rome is most famous for is the phrase Pax Romana. And Pax Romana simply means the peace of Rome. And they believed, whether it was an emperor or Caesar, that through their conquest of lands and through the ways in which they governed, they could bring about real peace. That's what they thought the promise, that's what they thought they could deliver. And when when Paul says peace from God. And what he's saying is peace from God alone. What he's saying actually is very interesting here. It's actually kind of subversive. He's saying to a people who are ruled by a government who are promising peace that the only peace you're ever really going to experience is not from man, not from government, not from an emperor, not from looking around, but from looking above. Now, I think this is timely for our country right now, what Paul does here. I think it's, it's very interesting. What he's saying here is, is do not look to Rome for what only comes from the kingdom of God. Do not look to an emperor what only can be yours through Christ. And do not look around you for what can only come to you from above. Don't go to the wrong person or the wrong place for the grace and peace that's only found in Jesus. And if you go looking for grace and peace for, for, for the, everything that your heart needs and for a wholeness, which is another word that, another thing that peace means, when you go looking for that everywhere else, what you're doing is you're saying there's another gospel out there. There's good news and it's found in the emperor, it's found in Rome. Now, listen, Tuesday, we have an election, right? And many of you probably have already voted, and hopefully the rest of you that are eligible will vote tomorrow or Tuesday. And that's my primary encouragement to you is pray and vote, pray and vote. But there's a danger in this season, and the danger is is that um, we forget that we should vote for a person, but only trust in Jesus, Amen. Give your vote to a person, but give your heart and your hopes and your well-being and your spiritual well-being and your emotional well-being. It must be grounded in this good news, otherwise you're looking for good news somewhere where it can't satisfy your heart. Listen, I'm going to say something I think you're all going to agree, but it needs to be said. The good news that humankind really needs, the good news that we all really need, the good news that Paul is talking about here, it isn't coming this Tuesday no matter what happens. It's not coming. It isn't coming from Trump. It isn't coming from Biden, it isn't coming from the White House, it isn't coming from our Supreme Court, it's not coming from the Republicans, it's not coming from the Democrats, it's not coming from a third party, it won't come from D.C., from Wall Street, from Hollywood, from the media, because the good news that we really need doesn't come from us, it comes for us. In verse 4, it spells it out that Jesus came for you, he came for me, and he gave himself up sacrificially for our sins. And when we see that, and we receive that, and we believe that, it changes our lives, and it changes our identity. That's the power of the gospel. It doesn't just change what you do. It changes who you are. It gives you a new identity. Probably about seven years ago, I was sitting in a leadership event in Branson, Missouri, and this lady got up, and she began to give this talk about identity. And she used this example, and I wanted to use it this morning. It was so helpful for me. I've never forgotten it. And she said, when you think about who you are, who are you? What's your identity? We really have layers of our identity, don't we? We have things that are closer to our core identity and other things that we are that are sort of further outside of of, of our core identity. And so she she talked about how like at the absolute core of who each of us is in this room, we are all, when we talk about who we are, we are all human, right? I think we can all agree on that. We're all human, which according to Genesis chapter 1 means we are all image bearers. So every single one of us at our core, who are you? I'm a human, and I bear the image of God. Okay. Then as we begin to move out in these bigger circles, where if you're a believer, you're a child of God, and and you're in Christ, and this is kind of who you are now. But then, who are we? Go to the next level. It's our key relationships. Who am I? I'm Aaron's husband. I'm Lilia's dad. I'm Unhi's son. Right. I'm this person's friend. And we begin to identify ourselves at the next level in terms of relationship. But then when you go out to a further level, now who are you? And we start to talk about things like ethnicity, race, citizenship, work. I'm a, I'm a doctor. Uh, I, you know, I'm a teacher. I'm a pastor. School. I'm a student. I go to high school. I go to elementary school. And then hobbies and interests. Okay? And, and we can disagree about this order of things, but essentially this is sort of how we build our identity and how we know who we are. From the most important to the most peripheral, right? Somewhere in here is politics. Somewhere in here is our political allegiances, affiliations, and convictions. And listen, I'm all for it. Have them, follow them, and do what you feel led to do with your vote. But here's the problem. This is what she said. She said, now imagine that this, this is a big grassy field, and you're responsible to water this field. And wherever you water, there's growth, and there's health, and there's strength. So you're holding a hose in your hand, and you're watering your identity. You're putting energy, resources, and emotions, and strength into some aspect of your identity at all times. And what she's saying is so many of us put all of our... We hold our hose like this. We're shooting water out to our peripheral sources of identity, who we are, where we work, what we do, what sports team we like, what music we like, who we're gonna vote for, where we work, what our hobbies are, what our interests are, and all of our energy and all of our strength, and just look at where all your financial resources go, and look at where all your energy, look at where all your worry and your anxiety comes from. It's all out here. And she said the problem is is we're all holding our hose like this, spraying water out there, hoping that that will give us identity, and then you look down at your feet and it's brown, it's dead. You're dying on the inside because you're not paying attention to your true source of identity. That you're human. You bear God's image, and you're a child of God. And here's what happens. When we get all of our joy and all our good news comes from out here, then when it doesn't go our way, we're going to lose our hope, and we can't figure out a way forward. And the other thing that happens is is when we start disagreeing with people out here, hobbies, interests, politics, religion, we stop treating people like humans. We start dehumanizing people by categorizing them, characterizing them, and demonizing them. Listen, I don't care if that person down the street who has that sign in their lawn that you don't like is going to vote for someone you're not going to vote for. They bear God's image. That's an image bearer of God. And we have a responsibility to recognize the inherent value and worth in every individual and not find our greatest joy out here. If you find your greatest joy out here, your, your joy is always going to be up and down. You're going to be on an emotional roller coaster, and it's all going to be about things either you can't control or things you can manufacture and produce. But these are the things that came for you, not from you. And those are the things we don't lose. And those are the things that hold us steady. So listen, if you're a Christian here this morning and you're a Republican, you should be able to pray for our governor. And if you're a Christian here this morning and you're a Democrat, you should be able to pray for our current president. Why? Because our deepest identity is not here. Our deepest identity is here. And what does God's word say? Pray for your leaders. Pray for your leaders. And I think the church has not always done well because we're just, we're the same voice everybody else is. And there should be something unique about people whose identity are rooted in the truth that Jesus gave himself for your sins to rescue you from this present evil age. And we live like that's not true. We live like, yeah, that's true. But also, did you hear what they said on CNN? And did you hear what they said on Fox News? And that's where all of our attention and all of our affection and all of our energy is going. So listen, whatever happens this Tuesday, and we probably won't know anything until a couple weeks, but whatever happens, don't lose your joy. Don't lose your peace. Don't give your heart to an individual. Don't give your heart to a political party. Vote your convictions. Be a voice for righteousness. Do what you need to do, but do not attach your deepest heart's allegiance and love to anything other than Christ because the political party you love did not give its life for you, did not walk to a cross and die for you. Only Jesus Christ did that, and that's the good news that comes for us. Now listen, as I close, Pastor Anthony is going to come Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world but lose their soul? And the word for soul in the Greek there is the word psyche. It's where we get psychologists and psychiatrists, psychology, psyche. What Jesus is saying is very interesting. It's not as obvious as it seems at first. When you first read that verse, it seems like Jesus is saying, if you go after the wrong things, you're going to spend eternity apart from me. You'll lose your life true but what Jesus is really saying there is if you go after the things of this world you're going to lose your sense of self in the process because you weren't created for that mission you were created for a different mission and and this is the last thought I want to leave with you the gospel sometimes we think about what Jesus did we think it's just about getting me to heaven when I die that's such a narrow vision of the gospel and if that's true then why not hopefully wait till your last breath to get right with God the gospel is not just for then it's for now Did you notice that Paul said that the gospel delivers us from this present evil age? Not just a future evil age, but this present evil age. Delivers it from us by allowing us to rise above it and have hope and joy in the midst of it all, knowing that the gospel is for us, not from us. The gospel is the good news about what Jesus did for you and for me. And what he did according to the Bible we could have never done for ourselves and when we see it, believe it and receive it it has the power to change every area of our lives to give us joy in the storm to give us peace in chaos to steady our feet no matter what ground we're being asked to walk on and it gives us something that we didn't earn but it came for us and it secures us and seals us for that final day. That's the good news of the gospel. Let's pray together.